Let's uh, pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for this place where we can worship. And thank you for your kind servants who just led us in that worship. And Father, send the Holy Spirit right now to drive your word and its truth deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've looked at the, your bulletin at all, you've noticed that we're going to talk this morning about the foundation of joy. And every good thing has a foundation. And so joy is a good thing. It's commanded by God. I was talking to Adam before the service, and I was reminded something I had forgotten, that God commands Christians to be joyful. And Adam said, John Piper said one time, that joy is the emotion that God commands us to have. And I'm like, yeah, it's true. God wants us to have emotion. I heard it in the worship, and he wants one of those emotions to be joy. And as I prepared to share this this morning from Psalms 95. If you want to turn there, we'll be looking at that in a minute from Psalms 95. As I pondered this this week, I realized that all of us come to the table very differently when it comes to God commanding us to have the emotion of joy. And I realized that some of us do that very easily. We were over at Dennis and Brenda's house this week, and I was talking to Dennis, and I'm like, you know, I, I think you're the kind of guy that's pretty upbeat and pretty joyful and, and really kind of takes life challenges and really rolls with them. And then I was talking to some guys uh, last week. Matter of fact, I was talking to Scott, who plays the bass, and I'm like, hey, how'd you learn the bass? And Scott's like, well, I, I kind of picked it up, and I was just like a natural, and it just came to me, and I, I'm, I'm kind of really good musically. And that's a natural thing for him to be musically inclined, and it came easy to him. There are those of us in this room who could take bass lessons for a thousand years, right? And it would not bring any joy to anyone. And so you can't get away from the fact that we're wired differently. And so I was talking to Connor, and I'm like, hey, Connor, you seem like, and I think you'll agree with me, Connor seems like a super upbeat guy, you know, always positive and always has a smile. Am I right? And I said to him, you're the kind of guy probably never, probably never gets down and always positive. He's like, oh, man. He's like, no, I, gotta, I struggle with it too, but I know the word of God. I know what God's done in my life, and that's what is the foundation for my joy. He didn't probably realize that he was setting up what we're talking about. And standing next to him was, who was standing next to him? Who was next to you? Sean. Sean. And I thought, Sean, he's a super upbeat guy all the time, right? Because that's how he comes across. But he's like, no, I wrestle too. I wrestle too. And sometimes I get down. And Jeff was standing there. And Jeff is like, I'm like, Jeff, you seem like a really upbeat guy all the time. And Jeff is like, I am. I'm really positive. But on myself, I can be rough. And so what I want to establish before we talk about the foundation of joy, knowing it's a command of God, is that we all come from very different places. There are those of you in this room right now who are probably thinking, you know what, go ahead, give me your best shot on the foundation of joy. If you had the struggles in your life that I had in my mind, in my life, you couldn't do it either. I don't know who you are, but you know, if you had the struggles that I have, you couldn't do it. And some of us Roll with it easier than others. Some of us are more upbeat. And so we've got to talk about this nature and this nurture, the difference between the way we're made and the way that we can help. And so this sermon's desire is to nurture in you this expression of joy, this desire to be joyful. And you've heard the nature-nurture conversation for many years, I suppose. If you think all the way back, this guy called... Uh, 
uh, John Locke. Back in 1690 was the first guy, I think, that coined the term blank slate. And he came along and said, we're all blank slates. Everything is clear when you're born, when you come into the world. And everything that you are is a product of your environment. And John Locke said that. It became popular thinking, and we all know that's not true. Even as early as in the 1900s, there was this popular thinking about how we're all just a product of our environment. If you think about it, many of the welfare and social programs that we have in culture today have this logic that we're all blank slates, and if we just give somebody the opportunity or the nice place to live or the job or whatever it is, if we just give that to them, then they'll be prosperous and happy like everybody else. But we know it's not true because people are wired different. So know that as we talk about joy this morning and the foundation of it, we are all wired different. And some of you are wired so well with such a positivity and such a wonderful disposition. Others of us need you to take us by the hand and help us to see when the skies get too cloudy for us to see. I need this sermon. I work at being thankful so I can be joyful. It is not natural for me. In 2002, Steven Pinker wrote a best-selling book just a few short years ago, a best-selling book, and he was coming back around and saying, hey, guess what? The way you're wired, the way you're made, your DNA makes more difference than you think, and that is true. So with that in mind, let's look this morning at Psalms 95 and the foundation of joy. What we're going to see in Psalms 95 is the command for us to be joyful and thankful in the Lord, the reasons why we can do that, the foundation of it, what happens when that happens in our life and the worship that comes from it. And then lastly in the chapter, we will see a warning if that doesn't happen. The Bible warns us in Psalms 95 in this topic to not have a hard heart. And they're related to this topic of joy and thanksgiving. And we'll talk about that at the end. And we'll define what it is to have a hard heart. So Psalms 95, come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Let us shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him in song because the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. The foundations of the earth are in his hand. The mountain peaks are his. The sea is his. He made it. With his hands, he formed the dry ground. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. And the warning today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on that day at Massa in the wilderness where your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was disgusted with that generation. I said, these are a people whose hearts go astray. They do not know my ways. I swore in my anger, they will never enter my rest. The passage opens with the call to be joyful and ends with 
never entering God's rest if in the hardness of heart you are unable to be joyful and thankful. And let me just say so importantly that if you cannot find joy from your thankfulness in God, you will never find rest. You will always be struggling and always be searching. So let's break this passage down. There's a call for a right attitude in this passage. Joy is the benchmark of the Christian life. Joy is the benchmark of the Christian life. A happy spirit, a, a, a joyful spirit, an understanding of who God is and what he does. And the passage says, come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. This is not, let's kind of whisper under our breath that God's pretty cool. This is shouting joyfully to God. And it uses the word shout three times and triumphantly twice. Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. All over the Bible, let us is kind of a really nice way of making a command. Especially in the New Testament, when you see let us, God's telling us what to do. Not quite so much in the Old Testament, but it's still there. Let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Randy Alcorn in the book called Happiness, which I've read and enjoyed immensely, I suggested. Randy Alcorn quoted someone in there who said, you can have in your Christian life, you can have happiness and you can have holiness, but you cannot have one or the other. You get that? If you are holy before God in your relationship with God, you naturally are happy in that relationship. And if you are happy and you are not holy, you are neither one eventually. Happiness and holiness come together in your relationship with God. If you're a Christian, joy is the benchmark of the Christian life. There's no such thing as a God-honoring, grumpy Christian. A grumpy, whining, complaining, and I've been there. And if you've known me when I was there, I've repented, and I'm sorry about that, but I've been there, and there's no place for that in the Christian life. And yes, terrible things happen, and hard things happen. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But joy is the benchmark of the Christian life, and the reason is that because we can enter His presence with thanksgiving. And when things are tough in your life, it drives you back to God. And the Bible says, come back to me. Come back and seek my face. Come back and see me, and come with thanksgiving. Beloved, the foundation for joy in your life is thanksgiving to God. And then God tells us why that's so important, the verses to come. Listen, I don't care how bleak your situation is. I don't care how hard you have it. I don't care what difficult thing has happened or is happening or you are fearful of. No matter what your situation or how bad or how bleak, you can be thankful to God. And if you can't think of anything else whatsoever to be thankful for, you can be thankful for the fact that one day God will come at the end of your life or the end of this age, and he will rescue you and take you to live with him forever in eternal bliss with no tears, no pain ever again. You can be thankful for that, even if that's the only thing you have. You can be thankful for that, and that can bring you joy. I think that joy is a key attitude on which every other one hangs. You realize in the fruit of the Spirit, the number two one is joy. You know what the first one is? Love. Love, joy, peace. Because Jesus said the greatest command was to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. You know what comes next? Joy. If you love without joy, it ain't love. All right? If you're a grumpy lover, that's something besides love. A key attitude in the Christian life is joy driven by Thanksgiving. I was uh, working on this and 
pondering the life of Daniel. Remember in the book of Daniel, Daniel was drug away from his homeland and he went into a new land and his buddies were thrown in the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down to this God and they were thrown in the furnace and God protected him and brought him back out and they couldn't get a, any way to condemn Daniel. So they made this decree that if anybody prays to God, besides the, the local deities that they set up, if you pray to God, you'd be thrown in the lion's den. And so Daniel, true to his faith, true to his conviction, true to God, what's he do? He doesn't hide in his closet and keep it a big secret. He opens his windows just like he always did. He gets down on his knees before the Lord and he prays to God. You know what the Bible tells us? One thing he prayed. He said in the Bible in Daniel chapter 6, he says Daniel prayed and one thing the Bible tells us he said. He gave thanks to God. That's it. Didn't pray for his health. Didn't pray for his buddies. We don't know what he prayed for, but the Bible records him being thankful. And you're like, yeah, that's pretty good. You know, well, think about it. This is a guy who was torn from his homeland, drug away, taken to a new culture, given new food to eat, new clothes to wear, new gods to serve, a complete abandonment of the culture he grew up in. This is not a pretty place for him. And yeah, he had some good things going on for him, but this is not a happy place to be. And in that situation, with his friends being thrown in the fiery furnace, with the threat of the lion's den, for anyone who prays to God, he hits his knees and says, God, thank you. And if Daniel can do it, you can do it, and I can do it. We can be thankful to God, and if we are, it will drive our joy. The shout indicates the, tri the, the intensity in the passage. Let's shout joyfully. Let's shout triumphantly. And the triumphantly indicates the sense of victory. We're supposed to shout triumphantly to God. We're supposed to sing and rejoice triumphantly. What is triumphantly? Triumphantly understands there's a problem, there's a situation, it's very serious, and we're going to have triumph. If I walk out to the parking lot right now, and I open the door of my car, and it opens, and I get in, I'm not jumping up and down for triumph. There's no big deal here. It's just a car door. I just opened it, right? No big deal. But I am triumphant in getting my door open if my car is upside down in the median of the interstate, and it's on fire, and my family is in it, and the fire department tears the door off my car with the jaws of life, and my family's lives are saved, I am shouting triumphantly. And when we're talking about joy and thanksgiving, the word triumph has to come into play because God understands, the Holy Spirit breathed out Scripture, understanding that this call for joyfulness and thankfulness is going to come in very difficult situations in which we have to understand that the Christian, at the end of the day, will triumph in God no matter what has happened along the way. The call for right attitude is an attitude of joy based on thanksgiving with a sense of triumph in God. So what's the basis for the attitude? Well, the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. The depths of the earth are in his hand. The mountain peaks are his. The seas are his. He made it with his hands. He formed the dry ground. God's done everything that there is to do. He's made everything that you see. His creative power. Notice this. The depths of the earth are in his hand. Everything low. The mountain peaks are his. Everything high. Right? He made the seas. Everything wet. And with his hands, he formed the dry ground. Everything dry. God says, look, the basis for your joy, the basis for your thanksgiving is that I'm God. I've made everything low, everything high, everything wet, everything dry. 
that pretty much wraps it up. Everything low, everything high, everything wet, everything dry, God made it all, and he says, hey, you can be joyful, you can be thankful, you can come to me that way because I'm a great God, I'm a great God above all gods, I've made everything you see, I have that kind of power. God's point is, if he made everything, then he is God. If he is God, then he can be worshipped. Do you remember Job, back in the Old Testament, the book before Psalms, and Job had Satan come before God and wanted to beat up on Job a little bit. And, and, and Satan said to God, you know, if you wouldn't take such good care of Job, he, he, you know, he wouldn't be so happy with you. And God's like, okay, well, you can test him a little bit. So um, God says you can take away anything he has. All these blessings that you think are causing him to serve you, you can take them away. So Job goes and takes everything. He takes everything. He wipes out his flocks, his herds, his wealth, his finances, kills his children, takes everything away. I pray to God none of you have experienced that level of devastation. It happened to Job. Everything was taken away. He's got his wife standing there telling him to give up on God. And Satan goes back to God and says, well, okay, you know, give me a break. You know, skin for skin. You didn't hurt him bad enough. You know, if you take his health, then you'll really get him. You know, give him, some, give him some health problems and he'll curse your name and die. And God says, okay, you can touch his health, but you don't kill him. So Satan goes back. Tough deal. Beats him to pieces. He's oozing pus and scraping himself. It's absolutely horrible. He wished... He probably were dead, but he wasn't because God wouldn't let Satan kill him. And so there he is. And Job complains about that. His friends come and tell him some really mean stuff. I'm telling you what, if your friends are really, really hurting, be really careful what you say because it's really easy to say something that isn't very nice. And his friends came and told him a whole bunch of stupid stuff. And, you know, there's probably some sin in your life that you're missing. You know, and Job's like, I'm looking, I'm looking. And so his friends go through all this stuff, and they tell him all this stuff, and Job's still hurting. And then Job's like, okay, that's enough. God, give me a break. I've been holy. I've been righteous. I've tried. I tried to tithe off my income. I, I made a covenant with my eyes, not even to look at a girl. God, that's me. I've tried to do that. I've, I don't know what's going on here. And Job complains to God. And then God steps in in chapter 38. And remember what he says? He says, Job, Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop right there. Job's complaining to God about his plight. And granted, his plight is really bad, right? What does God say? Chapter 38, for three chapters, God says to Job, Hey, Job, where were you when I built the foundations of the universe? Where were you when I told the sea you can come this far and that's it? Where were you when I put a hook in the sea monster's nose? Job, where were you when I filled the warehouses full of snow to fall on the earth? Job, where were you when I made the hail and put it in a bin? Where were you? And Job hears over and over and over again about the creative power of God and what he's done and how he's established his place because he's the creator God and has this kind of power. And God goes through that and Job at the end says, the Bible tells us he repented in dust and ashes and says, woe is me, God is God. God seems to think that his creative power and sovereign rule in life should be enough to command your trust. Is it? And the end of the day, it was for Job. Job made it through that. 
God seems to think that His creative power and His rule over the universe, He made everything wet, everything dry, everything high, everything low. God believes that He can command your trust to draw out your thanksgiving, which is the foundation for your joy. You know what that looks like in real life? We had dinner with some friends last night. Some of you might know them. Um, John and Kay, they're in a small group Bible study in our home. And uh, several years ago, uh, John's wife, Kay, they're in their 50s, same age as my wife and I. Several years ago, uh, his wife had a stroke in their home. And as they wrestled through this, she went downstairs and he realized that things were getting very serious and that this was going to be a huge problem and there was a great medical catastrophe happening. And there was. And they called for an ambulance and Kay fell down on the kitchen floor in their house and was, was vomiting because of the stroke on the floor. She shared last night that when she was down there on the floor, her husband kneels down to help her and says to her, no matter what, we're going to be thankful. Is that amazing? Do you know how that happens? That's years of looking at God and trusting Him and His sovereign power and His rule over the universe. And when the catastrophe hits, it's horrible. We don't want this to happen. But we can say in our hearts, no matter what, we're going to be thankful and we're going to be joyful and we're going to love and trust God. What an awesome testimony. I said, can I share that with my church? And they said, absolutely. Beloved, when we culture, when we work in our lives, when we nurture, not just our nature, but when we nurture that kind of trust in God and understanding who He is and the sovereignness of God, when we do that in our lives, when the crisis hits, we have a foundation for thanksgiving and joy that cannot be shaken. And then what happens to that? It's continuing the passage because Come, let us worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He's our God, and we're the people of His pasture, the sheep under His care. That kind of experience, this relationship with God, this thankfulness as a foundation for joy, leads to our worship. We come together and some people worship with very heavy hearts, and some people's hearts are so heavy, their lips, they just they can't express it, but they're living in the worship and the service. And so the Bible says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. Do you see the progression here? Come, worship, bow down, and kneel. Do you see what's happening here? Come, you're all here, you all came, you got it. You came, come, number one. That's pretty easy. Anybody can do that. Anybody can come, you're here, that's good. And then come, let us Worship. Now that's a little little further step there. That's actually to stop and sing the worship songs and be joyful in my heart towards God to, to worship. And, and sometimes somebody can be worshiping or not worshiping and you can't tell the difference. It's not very obvious. It's obvious if you came. It's not very obvious if you're actually a worshiper. And then let us bow down. Well, now it just got obvious, right? In your life, if you have come, if you have worshiped, if you have bowed down before God, your relationship with God just got more, ob more obvious. So this kind of worship then is not just coming and worshiping. Now it's obvious, and then it goes a step further. You know what the Bible says? Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. You know what that is? That's vulnerability. When I kneel before the Lord 
my maker. When I get down on my knees, I am vulnerable. And when you have the kind of thankfulness that God wants you to have, that God commands, that God deserves, when that joy comes into your life as a part of that thankfulness, you become vulnerable. You don't just come, you don't just worship, you don't just bow, it's obvious. But now it's obvious and vulnerable. You become vulnerable because when you have very hard things happen in your life and you keep trusting in God and you put a smile on your face and you work to trust God in that situation, sometimes you look like a fool. Because it comes, becomes obvious that nobody can take these kind of hardships and still trust in God. What kind of God do you trust? That's what Job's wife said. Curse God and die. What do you, man, give me a break. Beloved, God wants us to be thankful because of who he is as a foundation for our worship. He wants us to come and worship and kneel down and make that obvious and vulnerable. And the basis for that. Because he's our God and we're the people of his pasture and the sheep under his care. In the Hebrew here, it's interesting that the sheep under his care, the literal rending of the Hebrew there is that we're the, we're the sheep in his hand. And so that's a, like a metaphor or a euphemism for sheep under his care. So the translators put his care. But the, the literal rending of the Hebrew is that we are the sheep in his hand. Think about that. You're in the hand of God. No matter what you're going through, no matter what's happening, no matter what you're trying to overcome, no matter how thankful or unthankful or joyful or unjoyful, you are in the hand of God. God has you right there in His hand. The Bible talks in the New Testament about nobody can pluck me out of God's hand. Wow. I want to illustrate that for you. Being in the hand of God. I brought with me this morning a cookie. Actually, I didn't bring it. I stole this from the kitchen. And somebody caught me. And she's in here, and so I'm being honest about this, but I forgot to bring a cookie, and so I stole this from the kitchen. Whoever brought the chocolate chip cookies, thank you very much. But this cookie, this cookie is in my hand, and the Bible tells us that we're the sheep of God's pasture. We're the sheep in his hand. The Bible tells us nobody can pluck me from the hand of God. This cookie is in my hand, and when this cookie is in my hand, this cookie is in my control. Okay? Y'all could rush me. I think you could collectively get together and I'm, you, if you tried to take my cookie, I am going to crunch it. No, I could eat it. That's excellent. I could eat it really quick, and you can't have it. See, you're helping me. You're helping me. I could crunch it up. I could lock that in my hand, and you would have to feverishly work to pry my fingers open and get it out. I could give this cookie to someone. I could share it. I could go get that whole tub in the kitchen, pass them out. I'm not going to. But this being in my hand is significant because God's trying to share this metaphor of the significance of being in the hand of God is in his control and his protection and his safety. And after everything we've just talked about, God says, you're the sheep in my pasture. You're the sheep under my care, in my hand. You, Christian, are lovingly harbored safely in the hand of God, no matter what your challenge, no matter what your hardship. And for that, you can be thankful. And you can be joyful. I want to recap Psalms 95 like this, if you'll allow me. Psalms 95 is recapped like this. The sovereign God of the universe has formed everything you see. The one thing that he demands is trust from you and me. He promises to care for us through pain and sorrow and disease. He affirms that he's proved himself through all of history. So when you're tempted to complain or struggling with despair, seek the joy from trusting Christ and he will meet you there. 
Do not let your hearts grow hard or put God to the test. Be quick to find your trust in him and you will surely find his rest. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for teaching us that because of your sovereign power in the universe and your care for us, we can trust you no matter what. We can be thankful and we can be joyful. Help each one of us to experience that in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.